This Janet Mefford Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to persecuted Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible, $35 sends seven. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Great to have you with us. If there was ever a time that America needed faithful, godly pastors, it is right now. This has been, as you know, an unbelievable year so far with incredible dangers looming against the church and against America. We have seen the horrific toll that the pandemic has taken on the nation with the state trying to oppress the church. We've seen violent protests and increasing crime in the streets of our cities and also a corrupt political movement that has hijacked a racial narrative to try to use it to destroy America from within. That's why our pastors have to know what's going on right now and learn how to address it so they can lead and protect their flocks while engaging the culture with the truth of Jesus Christ. And it's also why a number of Christian leaders and pastors are going to be convening in Grapevine, Texas, just outside of Dallas, on August 30th through September 2nd for a Liberty Pastors Conference. It is called America at the Crossroads, a 911 call for pastors and everyone from Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick to Dr. Robert Jeffrey to Rafael Cruz will be offering biblical insight on dealing with some of the critical issues of our times. And of course, another great voice at this gathering will be my next guest, Pastor Paul Blair of Fairview Baptist Church in Oklahoma, who is joining us now to talk about it. Paul, it is wonderful to have you here. How are you? Oh, we are doing well, Janet. Thank you so much. And it's great to be on the air with you today. Well, great to have you here with us. What is it like, just out of curiosity, to be a pastor right now at the moment we're in with all the challenges, all the dangers that our churches and our nation are facing? What's your perspective on what it's like to be a pastor in this moment? Well, you know, Janet, we have been a, we have been the exception to the rule of Christianity uh, since the uh, you know church was established in Acts two. You know, we are the only Christians in Christian history that haven't been persecuted for our faith, and that was cause a cause of the great American experiment, the great faith of our founding fathers, and we have had both civil and religious liberty. We have grown up in this environment in America, so we take it for granted. But the reality is we are the exception and not the rule. And, of course, the devil is alive and well. He goes about like a roaring lion, seeking him may destroy. And we are engaged literally in a battle for the future of the United States of America. Now, you know, this continent will exist, but, you know, what will it look like? Will it look like the Marxist ideal or will it look like what our founding fathers have given us and we have all enjoyed for the better part of the last 240-plus years? So it's certainly an interesting time. <laughs> it's not exactly like the comfort of the Reagan 80s, no. but uh, quite frankly, you know, God has raised us up for such a time as this. Well, I agree with you, and it's weird to see so many different pockets of the church doing different things. We have, on the one hand, people like you, pastors like you, who have open churches, who think it's very important for the church to be open right now. 
now we have churches whose pastors have canceled services preemptively for the rest of the year, which kind of blows my mind. And then you also have pastors marching in these Black Lives Matter protests while their churches are closed. I, I Do you see this as kind of a winnowing time right now in the church? Because it seems like you're almost on one side or the other, or it's starting to look that way. No doubt. And the reality is it's going to separate the wheat from the tares very quickly. You know, it's been comfortable to be a Christian in the United States of America. In particular, in our parts of the country, you know, anybody that's running for public office has on their flyers, oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, of course. You know, that's almost like a pre-requirement to, uh, to run for office. But now, not so much. You know, we are seeing where being a Christian in name only is not going to be the trendy, popular thing to do. And it will only be those who truly are Christ followers that have trusted Jesus and his finished work and are diligent in uh, living a life of obedience. You know, those are going to be the only ones that are left because it's certainly not going to be popular to be a Christian anymore. You're totally right. How do you reflect on the impact, for instance, I know this is one of the subjects you'll be addressing at your conference on the coronavirus pandemic. What is your assessment of how this pandemic is affecting the body of Christ in ministry right now? Well, you know, God hasn't given us the spirit of of fear, but but of power and a sound mind and great faith. And I'm amazed, you know, quite frankly, the church is being caught flat-footed. And and I'm amazed by how silent the pulpit has been. And the people of God are looking for, for, for news, they're looking for direction, they're looking for instruction. And that's one of the reasons why we're doing what we're doing. Uh, the thing that has puzzled me about the COVID, you know, we sat back uh, like uh, everyone. You know, initially when the president asked for us to shut down for a few weeks and our governor here in the state of Oklahoma asked the same thing, then we complied because we supported both. And quite frankly, the verdict was still out. You know, we, we don't want to put anybody at risk. and We weren't sure how serious this was. Right. But we followed the data very carefully. And, uh, you know, we went back to having services after about three weeks. And we haven't changed a thing. Quite frankly, we have donuts, we have coffee, we have regular Sunday school, we have meet and greet. Uh, Masks are not required. That is part of self-government. So if a family wishes to wear a mask or not shake, that's up to them. Those that uh, don't want to wear masks, they have the freedom to do so. And we have literally functioned. You wouldn't recognize that there's anything going on outside the four walls of church or within our church body because this, this pandemic hasn't affected us. Uh, We have had four people total that have tested positive for the coronavirus. Uh, Three of them were totally asymptomatic. One didn't even know he'd had it. It was the uh, uh, his uh, uh, blood uh, test revealed that he had had it in the past. Uh, And then we had one lady that was a cancer survivor and had a number of health issues, and she did go into the hospital for about seven days, but she came out and she's doing great. So, you know, our church has weathered this just like any normal cold or flu season. And the reality is this is the seventh of the coronaviruses. Four are like colds. This is the third, which H1N1, SARS-1, and now SARS-2. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. This has now been introduced to, to humanity. So we are going to develop herd immunity, and we are going to learn to live with it. And what they have tried to do to flatten the curve and all that stuff has proven to really be pointless. And, uh, but when you look at the data... You know, even with the flawed data, Janet, you've got 150,000 reported died with COVID, not died from COVID, in a country whose population is 330-plus million. That's right. You know, that is 0.0004 
uh, percent of the population. And the reality is, in a country as large as us, we have over 7,700 people die every day anyway. Yes. You're going to die of cancer or a car wreck or old age or sickness of some way or another. Uh, you know, and it, it's, a, it's just, you know, life is a risk. You can either yeah. hole up inside your house, and even in that case, you might slip and fall in the shower and, and, and break your neck. But the reality is we have been driven into this panic because of the 24-7 nonstop media. And it's so obvious, you know, when doctors that, you know, two weeks ago were considered heroes for the work that they're doing, if they all of a sudden come out and say something that's uh, politically incorrect, like we believe that hydroxychloroquine is a, is a good solution in treating them, then all of a sudden they are castigated, they're mocked and belittled and defamed. You know, why is this political? That should cause people's ears to pop up and, and start asking questions. And that's what we're trying to do. Quite frankly, this event we're doing in uh, Grapevine, Texas here at the end of the month is going to be for pastors. We're trying to try to educate them with experts on what's going on, not only with the COVID, but also we got to introduce them to what Marxism is all about, which when you examine the Black Lives Matter movement and you look at their founders stating that they are a trained Marxist, organizers, well, it would probably be better, pretty important that these pastors know exactly what that means when someone's saying that to you so clearly. Totally right. Totally right. And, you know, when you talk about the political, it's very important when you're looking at the actual data, as you mentioned before, Paul, about the COVID-19 and about cases and deaths and all the rest. You're right on the money about that. And yet we're seeing state oppression of churches, like in places such as California. Now we've seen the recent John Lewis funeral. There was an exemption given to those people. They could go to their funerals. But if you're just an average Christian and your grandmother died and you wanted to go to the funeral, sorry, you're limited to 10 people. And I think people are beginning to wake up to this. And one of the reasons I think it's so important that you guys are gathering and doing what you're doing for pastors is to give some support to a lot of these pastors that I've talked to across the country who say, I know that I need to really stand firm for Jesus Christ, but I need to know what's going on and how to help my flock in an hour like this. We're going to come back, take a short break. Reverend Paul Blair with us. We'll be back right after this. Janet Meffer today is proud to partner with Preborn to help save babies' lives. Well, my name is Dan Steiner, and I'm the president of Preborn. Ultrasound truly is a game changer. When a mom comes into a pregnancy center under pressure to abort her child, perhaps the dad's gone, perhaps her mother is pressuring her. Most of the time in her heart, she doesn't want to abort, but what she needs is something that will give her the strength to choose life against the pressures that are forcing her to consider abortion. That's the ultrasound. If she hears her baby's heartbeat and sees that baby on ultrasound, everything's different. Will you join us in saving babies' lives? Preborn funds pregnancy centers across the nation so they can offer free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Ultrasound is a game changer because when abortion-minded women actually see their babies in their wombs for themselves, 80% of the time, they choose life. Would you please join us at Janet Meffer today to support the ministry of Preborn? For $140, you can provide five free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. 
One ultrasound is just $28, and every gift helps. To donate, please call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. All gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your gift goes directly towards saving babies. You can get involved, and you can help save a life for a gift of $140. Five free ultrasounds will be offered to women in crisis pregnancies. Let's do more than talk about abortion. Let's save some lives. Please call now with your gift, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Thanks for being with us. Great to have you here and great to have with us Pastor Paul Blair, one of my favorites from Fairview Baptist Church in Oklahoma. He does such great work and Liberty Pastors is holding a conference coming up August 30th in Grapevine, Texas, right outside of Dallas. It's called America at the Crossroads, a 911 call for pastors. We were talking a lot about the COVID-19 pandemic, the effects on the church, and also the need to instruct pastors about the dangers of Marxism and a lot of what's going on in the culture right now. Briefly, though, Paul, just to to back up a little bit and to ask you, because I wanted to get your take on this. What is your take on the fact that we are seeing unequal treatment when it comes to how these leftist politicians are sometimes dealing with Christians and churches in terms of shutdowns versus places like abortion clinics and leftist protests? What's your take on all of that? Well, that's an admission by their side that they don't really take the virus seriously because a virus cannot read the sign on the door. Right. So when the state of Nevada says, if you're a casino and you have a capacity to have 5,000 people on the floor of your casino, and they are allowed to have 50% occupancy, but if you have a church down the street that has a 5,000-seat auditorium, he is capped at only having 50 in attendance. Well, that shows that they really don't believe in what they're espousing to us. Uh, The truth of the matter is, if this was that dangerous of a virus, then that max of 10 people or 50 people would be true for whether you are uh, in a church or in a casino or in a federal building. Uh, And the requirement for masks would be true whether you're standing in a restaurant or seated at a restaurant. Those germs can't tell whether you're seated or standing. They can't tell whether you're at a Black Lives Matter a riot or whether you're inside a church singing a hymn unto the Lord. They aren't able to read. They just affect everybody equally. So the inconsistency and how political this is being treated shows me that medically it it doesn't substantiate what the politicians are doing to exploit this. Well, right. And so we've seen these leftist protesters out there, Black Lives Matter, and it was all about George Floyd until George Floyd got lost in the shuffle a couple months ago. So now it's just violence in the streets. Crime is rising like crazy defunding police, more and more efforts to, you know, push Marxism. And I know this is something else you'll be addressing at the conference. And it would seem to me, this is just my opinion, but this is a good time for the Marxists to separate the pastors from their congregations. Don't you think that's part of it? 
Oh, absolutely, without doubt. You know, a flock without its shepherd uh, it needs leadership, and they're wanting to fill that void. The sad thing is, is that, quite frankly, there's already that void with so many of these churches because these pastors have been taught totally flat-footed with what's going on. So that's where we hope uh, to be able to help educate them. You know, if you've done any study, and I know you have with Marxists, the, the whole idea, the enemy is the elimination of private property. Yeah. They want a, a state-controlled society, central planning where the government owns everything, including your person, and controls every facet of life. And that was Marx's idea of a socialist utopia. Now, to get there, it's going to take a violent revolution. That's Marx's own words. And he doesn't matter what the tension is, as long as there's strife to create that, that moment of revolution. So they don't care whether it's a race issue. They don't care whether it's mass versus no mass. They don't care whether it's male, female, gay, straight. They're exploiting whatever kind of division, whatever kind of friction they can take advantage of to hopefully create the call for that socialist utopia revolution. And that's what's so nonsensical. You know, if anybody sat there and watched the news and see these small-owned, uh, uh, black-owned businesses being burnt to the ground and going, wait a second, I thought this was about Black Lives Matter, or seeing some white uh, college-age Antifa member cursing in the face of a police officer. They're going, wait a minute, or of a black police officer. And you go, wait a minute, I thought this was about Black Lives Matter. No, the issue is the revolution. Yeah. This whole idea of Black Lives Matter is just a, a tool that they're using to, to stoke the fire. And the enemy is private property. The enemy is the state. So that black police officer, because he is a policeman, and they're calling for the elimination of the police in the state, well, he's the enemy. That, that black uh, business owner, because he actually uh, owns private property and is therefore guilty because he's an exploiter, so-called, well, he is the enemy. So we've got to teach these pastors the truth about what's going on, because it's really not hard to recognize for those of us that have a basic education in it. Yeah, that's right. Well, you'll be having great speakers at your conference, Bishop yes. E.W. Jackson is going to talk about Black Lives Matter's goals and missions and founders, some of this critical race theory stuff. Pastor Rafael Cruz is going to be giving a testimony about what happened in Cuba. And and one of the things that I think is great, you're talking about the compartmentalization of Christianity. Uh That's one of the addresses you'll be doing. And when I look at that, and I'm looking at, in tandem with that, Pastor Dan Fisher, also at Fairview, talking on the Black-Robed Regiment, which is very much his wheelhouse, and he loves to go back in history and explain for people how important pastors were at the time of the American Revolution. How does this tie together, the, the compartmentalization of Christianity that we're seeing at the moment, and the need for a new Black-Robed Regiment at this hour? Well, we have been guilty of allowing Jesus to be the Lord of Sunday morning, but it's separating him from every other facet of life. And the reality is that is uh, non-biblical, and it's non-Hebraic. It's very Greek Gnostic for those that are Bible students out there. The idea of compartmentalizing life and saying, okay, Lord, you stay out of this part of our life, and we'll meet you at church on Sunday morning. That is not what it means to be a Christian. Jesus is not just the Lord of Sunday Sunday morning, he's supposed to be the Lord 24-7. So when pastors willingly said, we are going to censor our messages, we're not going to talk human, about human sexuality, because that could offend some. We're not going to talk about uh, the, the sanctity of life, because that could offend some. And heaven forbid, we're not going to talk about politics. Well, we've left that void, we've left that vacuum to be filled by the devil and his wisdom. 
But the reality is every pastor knows and would answer this question correctly. If you asked a minister, you said, what three institutions did God establish on planet Earth? Every one of them would say the home, the church, and human government, civil right. government. Right. And then if you asked that pastor, well, where should you go for counsel on the home? Well, he'd say the Bible, because God established it. If you asked that pastor, where do you go for instruction on how your church is formed and functions? He'd point to the Bible, because God established the church. But then you ask those pastors, where do you go for principles of civil government? What God's intent and goals and limitations for the civil governing authority were? There's crickets. They sit there and say, well, we don't know, I guess MSNBC or Fox News. Hmm. Well, that's nonsense. If God is who established this institution of civil government, then he's given us ample instruction in the Word of God. And most of these pastors have been taught in seminary that the Bible doesn't speak of these issues or they're not supposed to. Once we reacquaint them with this simple truth that Jesus is not just the Lord of Sundays, but he's the Lord of all of their lives, it's been so encouraging to see them drink like water, uh, a man given water after coming out of the desert. So we've had great success with these pastors' events in the past, and this one's going to be very specific, uh, focusing on Marxism, uh, the uh, the COVID-19, uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, critical race theory, and all this other that's being used out there to try to divide the country in the hopes of transforming the country into something completely uh, different. Wonderful. Paul, how can pastors get more information about the conference? Where should they go? Go to our website, libertypastors.com. You'll find all information on there, including phone numbers. And uh, the registration, it's about a $1,200 three-day trip. We want these pastors to have a second honeymoon. They're going to have their evenings free with their wives. It's, gonna, it's a beautiful facility, the Gaylord Texan. And there's going to be a time of rest and relaxation. It's going to be a time of fellowship. But we're going to also pour into these men about 20 hours of very important continuing education. So go to the websites, $100 for an individual, $150 for the husband and his wife as a registration free, and even that can be refunded. There's some simple instructions that we'll send to them. That is exciting. LibertyPastors.com, again, is the website to go to. Just a couple minutes left, but Paul, I wanted to ask you, with all that is facing the church at the moment, there is a considerable amount of stuff facing us as Christians today. What do you think is the great need of the hour in the pulpits of America? Well, we need repentance and courage. We have far too many pastors, and we've talked about this for years, that have gone into the church business. And the reality is we have been called to be God's prophetic voice in this age in which we live. We're supposed to be proclaiming, thus saith the Lord, and not trying to make our message conform to the tickling, to tickle the ears of the populace. The reality is, Janet, when you think back about it, every person in the Bible that we revere was very unpopular in their time. Yeah. I mean, Jeremiah, they wanted to put in jail and put to death. You know, uh, Ezekiel, uh, they hated. Uh, Elijah, uh, they hated. John the Baptist had his head cut off. Jesus, they crucified. Every one of these great men of God, of course, Jesus was God incarnate, were, were rejected by the world in general. So why do we think we want to make a or we can or even capable of creating a message that's appealing to an unregenerate world? So if there's ever been a time for men of God to stand up and proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ and the truth of God into the culture, well, now is the time. 
We've been very comfortable for these past many decades. We've been enjoying the liberty and freedom that our forefathers purchased for us. Well, now we are literally at risk of a, of a transformation that we will not like as Bible-believing Christians. Things will get ugly if they are successful. So God willing, this is the moment that these pastors will finally hit their knees and say, Lord, forgive me for being in the church business and not being in the business of the church. That is so well said, Paul, and I couldn't agree with you more. And as a layman myself, I can say, and based on statistics that we've seen from various research studies that have taken place, the people are crying out Mm -hmm. for that. God's people want courageous pastors who are repentant and are bold and will speak the truth and will stand on the word of God and will preach Christ crucified, not to tickle itching ears, but because they want to be faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we're out of time. I got to refer you to the website, though, if you'd like more information on the America at the Crossroads conference coming up in Grapevine, Texas, go to libertypastors.com and get more information. Pastor Paul Blair with us. Thank you so much, Paul, for what you do. God bless. God bless you, Janet. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. This Janet Mefford Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to persecuted Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible, $35 sends seven. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, you really need a scorecard to figure out what's going on on the Democratic side of the aisle these days. It's really true because it's not just Dr. Anthony Fauci, the leftist, the infectious diseases guru for America who keeps changing his mind and says one thing one day and then undoes it with the next media outlet that he talks to. It isn't just Fauci. It's also Biden. Now, I don't know how many examples of this I could trot out before you to actually make my point. But here's one of his very strong statements from around July 10th. And I just want to go on and talk about this. But let's go back in time and listen to what Joe Biden said about debating Donald Trump. Cut one. I can hardly wait. I can hardly wait to deal with what he refers himself as a stable genius. I can hardly wait to debate him. Pretty clear, right? Pretty clear. He wants to debate Donald Trump. So what has changed? I think somebody has told Joe Biden stay in the basement because, first of all, within the last few days, he has been on record as saying he will not go on Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace. And he's been invited on that program and he refuses to go, even though Donald Trump got an interview and Joe Biden was supposed to get equal airtime. Nope. Biden has no interest in doing this. Now it's all about canceling the debates, which I find very interesting because these Democrats seem to be all in on keeping everything virtual. You would think that something involving TV would be perfect. They can trot out the genius Joe Biden and they can show all of his foreign policy experience off and they can talk all about how he has been an effective leader for the last 40 years. Maybe they can talk about his plagiarism. No, that probably won't come up. Uh, This is just hilarious to me. The media is arguing that Joe Biden 
should not debate Donald Trump. But what's utterly hilarious about it is the reason that they are giving for this. Actually, there are several reasons why they're making this argument. We know what the real argument is. We don't want people to see him. We don't want people to actually listen to what he might say during the debate, because whenever he gets up there, he says something insane. And I'm not trying to, by the way, be unkind to Joe Biden as a fellow human being, because I look at what he says, the dog face pony soldier and swearing at people, you know, when people say things on the campaign trail that he hasn't liked and he gets really nasty in their faces, that's bad enough because the media that goes after Trump for some of his off the cuff remarks doesn't really seem to have the same standard for Joe Biden. But you have all kinds of problems with Joe Biden. You have the problems of China. You have the problems of Hunter Biden. You have the problems of the Obama administration. You have the problems of his cognitive issues. Clearly, he's not in a mentally stable condition. Whatever that diagnosis is, I could not say because I am not a physician, but everybody can see it by the things he says, by the things he doesn't say. He is not all there anymore. And somebody should take him off the campaign trail and tend to him and let him live out the rest of his days in a more appropriate context. Which brings me to this article from the New York Times. This is just stunning. This is called Let's Scrap the Presidential Debates. They've become unrevealing quip contests. This is written by Elizabeth Drew. Nervous managers of the scheduled 2020 presidential debates are shuffling the logistics and locations to deal with the threat of the coronavirus. But here's a better idea. Scrap them all together and not for health reasons. I mean, that's not for health reasons. The debates have never made sense as a test for presidential leadership. Never? In fact, one could argue that they reward precisely the opposite of what we want in a president. Did you say that about Obama and Bill Clinton? When we were serious about the presidency, we wanted intelligence, thoughtfulness, knowledge, empathy, and to be sure, likability. It should also go without saying dignity. Yet the debates play an outsized role in campaigns and weigh more heavily on the verdict than their true value deserves. (laughs) Perhaps the most substantive televised debate of all was the first one between John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon, which Nixon was considered to have won on substance on the radio while the cooler and more appealing Kennedy won on TV. Since these weren't true debates, the concept of winning one of these odd encounters was always amorphous. And she goes on to say, over time, the debates came to resemble professional wrestling matches and more substantive debates were widely panned in the press. Points went to snappy comebacks and one-liners. Witty remarks drew laughs from the audience and got repeated for days and remembered for years. Who does she cite in all of this? Ronald Reagan, of course. Ronald Reagan. Let me just tell you something. I watched the Reagan-Carter debates as a kid. Ronald Reagan absolutely slaughtered him. He slaughtered Jimmy Carter in those debates on the substance. And yes, he did have some hilarious throwaway lines. There you go again. They got a lot of traction. And his comment, you know, about age and experience later on. Listen, he did have some phenomenal one-liners because that was his personality. But what he had was substance as well. He didn't just stand up there and tell jokes like it was, you know, the chuckle hut or something. He was doing a debate. The problem for the liberals is he was winning. He was winning. Now, listen to CNN. This is hilarious, too. The former Clinton press secretary, Joe Lockhart, was on CNN also arguing, and he he put this in a piece as well for CNN, that Biden should skip the presidential debates because of Trump's track record of lying. This is hilarious. This is the anchor starting out by quoting from the piece and then going to Lockhart. This is cut two. 
quote, whatever you do, don't debate Trump. Trump has now made more than 20,000 misleading or false statements, according to the Washington Post. It's a fool's errand to enter the ring with someone who can't follow the rules or the truth. Biden will undoubtedly take heat from Republicans and the media for skipping the debates, but it's worth the risk as trying to debate someone incapable of telling the truth is an impossible contest to win. Joining me now to discuss his piece is CNN political analyst Joe Lockhart. Joe, if the president is watching this right now, I, I could see him rubbing his hands together and saying that would be perfect because then I, of course, get to say he's afraid to get on the stage with me. It has to do with his cognitive abilities. Yeah, well, he will say that. And, and I think, uh, as I wrote in the article, it's worth the risk. You know, he's, this is a president who, as I said in the article, is incapable of telling the truth. He spins these conspiracy uh, theories out there. And up till now, most of those theories are uh, broadcast by Fox News and, you know, on his Twitter feed. And, you know, most Americans don't see that. The debates are very different. This is the one thing, you know, now that we're not really going to have conventions where the public will tune in, you know, uh, you know, 50, 60 million people. And they will, they will see all of this nonsense from him. He will take the truth and, and destroy it. And, and Biden will be in the position of correcting him over and over and over again. I don't think he should give him that platform. In other words, you're really terrified at the performance of Joe Biden. But more than that, it's not just that Joe Biden will choke, which we all know Joe Biden will choke. Even when he was standing up there with the rest of the hopefuls on the Democrat side in the previous, you know, you know, all the candidates who are standing up there, Booker and all the rest, Kamala Harris, he, he made all kinds of bizarre remarks. And he got caught, you know, flat footed on some of the things that he said. And that's his side of the aisle. How much more would Donald Trump eviscerate him if he said something that was completely nuts? Here's what I also think is part of it. I think part of it is they're calculating that they can whip up the hatred toward Trump more than they can whip up enthusiasm and support for Biden because there isn't any. Look at these little campaign stops that he's made along the way where he has to three socially distanced people in the audience. Nobody is excited about this guy. And they're really rolling the dice and calculating if we keep bashing Trump, maybe we can get more votes for Biden just by being anti-Trump. Because if we put Biden out there, we all know what will happen. Not only will he embarrass himself, but that will give Trump an opportunity to confront Joe Biden to his face about all sorts of things that Joe Biden is not qualified to really answer to the satisfaction of people who are intelligent out there watching it on TV, such as his son and Burisma and Hunter Biden and all of that scandal that went on. Let's talk about Russia. Let's talk about the impeachment. You know Trump will bring that up. He's the same guy who had so many great moments against Hillary Clinton in 2016 when he talked about her going to jail, when he talked about abortion. He was unbelievable. And he brought in Bill Clinton's accusers. Do you remember when he did that? They're scared of what Trump might actually do to embarrass and derail Biden and derail any hopes that they have of being able to defeat Trump in 2020. So they've got a backup plan. By the way, we're going to get to that when we come back. You're listening to Janet Meffer today.
If you could provide God's word to a Bible-less believer in Asia, would you? Hi, it's Janet Mefford. Hebrews 13.3 urges us to remember those in great need, noting that when the body of Christ is found lacking, we're urged to help meet their need. These Christians live where churches are small and remote, where authorities aren't welcoming of the gospel, and where Bibles are scarce. They need the hope found only in God's word, and your gift today lets them know they're remembered. For only $5, believers like Hyo in China and Miriam in Nepal will receive a Bible, be discipled in their new faith, and trained to share Christ. $35 sends seven Bibles, $100 sends 20. Listeners, we're grateful you've generously sent Bibles to more than 2,000 Christians in Asia. Please help us send more with Bible League International. Call now, 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-W-O-R-D. 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Thank you. Are you in need of a healthcare program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org jmt. That's libertyhealthshare.org jmt. Or call now, 855-565-2561, 855-565. 565-2561. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. It really is hilarious to watch the left try to justify their call to keep Biden off the debate stage with Trump. Here's another thing. When you're listening to that cut that I just played of the former Clinton press secretary, Joe Lockhart on CNN, arguing that Biden shouldn't debate Trump because Trump will just tell a lot of lies and then Biden will have to refute them all. Yeah, as if Joe Biden doesn't lie. Okay, not only that, but he was making the argument that the public wouldn't tune in. 50, 60 million people aren't going to watch the debate. How do you know that? We're in a coronavirus shutdown still, a lot of us. How do you know people wouldn't tune in? I'll be there. I'll be there with bells on, as they like to say. I want to see Biden and Trump debate. I am looking forward to it. I love watching presidential debates. I've always watched presidential debates. A lot of people have. It's good stuff. And you can see how those men act, in in, in this case, two men, act with each other and also how they're able to field questions and how they're able to interact and, and take these situations that are given to them and and give clear, concise answers on what they would do here, what they would do there, policy positions, etc. And maybe a little humor thrown in. But these guys don't want Joe Biden anywhere near Trump. They don't want him anywhere near Trump. And I think that their strategy isn't going to work. So, of course, they have a backup plan. What's their backup? What is their backup plan? It is universal mail-in voting. See how this is going to work? Michael Goodwin over at the New York Post wrote about this. And he said, you know, here we have the left going crazy against President Trump, who is arguing, 
listen, universal mail-in voting is a disaster waiting to happen. He's talked about the plans of states like California and Colorado during the pandemic uh, to mail ballots to every registered voter. I mean, look at what is happening in some of these other locations across the country in New Jersey and in New York. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But there is a you know, whole group of leftists saying, ah, there's no problem with mail-in voting. There's no problem. We've had absentee ballots. We've had this or that. Remember which side of the aisle has been engaging in voter fraud since the beginning of time. All right, maybe not the beginning of time, but voter fraud is their kind of their their thing. You know, the, the dead in Chicago going to vote, that, that's been a thing forever. And Michael Goodwin points out there is evidence that this is a disaster. There's lots of evidence that this is a disaster, thanks in part to the continuing saga of two New York congressional races. Five weeks after the Democratic primaries, no winners have been declared. And results for two others were delayed for several weeks. And the major problem was the volume of mailed-in ballots. More than 400,000 across New York City against the 23,000 received and validated four years ago. The Board of Elections, creaky, sloppy, and unreliable on the best of days, is swamped. This is the race between the Democratic incumbent Carolyn Maloney and challenger Siraj Patel. In-person voting gave Maloney an edge of under 700 votes, but then some 65,000 voters returned the absentee ballots that they requested and mailed ballots trigger additional safeguards and requirements. It is a total mess and it's going to lead to lawsuits and the judge has just ruled on this case uh, invalidating certain things here. A federal judge ordering election officials to count thousands of mail-in ballots throughout the state of New York that were declared invalid for not having a postmark or arriving at offices shortly after the June 23rd primary. This is from the New York Post again. So already we're seeing in these localized races what a mess it is. Can you imagine if this were on a national level? This is a disaster waiting to happen. And now the left is saying to Trump, oh, you know, you're trying to cancel the election. He kind of walked it back a few hours after he tweeted it. And he said, no, I'm just trying to put it out there. So the left will talk about the fact that perhaps this is going to be, you know, yielding results in the election that are not fair and are not actually true which he's right about. Now, I want to play for you the comments of Hogan Gidley over on Fox News, who really does eviscerate the Democrats' push for universal mail-in voting. He, of course, is the former White House deputy press secretary. Listen to Kethry. But there are already mechanisms in place to vote. You can do that through absentee voting, of course. Uh, This situation in which Democrats are trying to do universal mail-in voting is rife with the potential for fraud and for cheating. And I always find it ironic. Democrats always project onto Republicans the very thing they themselves are guilty of actually doing. Great example. They accuse this president of colluding with Russia to change the outcome of an election. It was the Democrats who actually bought and paid for a Russian dossier that was filled with things from a British spy. So talk about foreign interference. This issue is exactly the same. They're accusing the president of trying to change the date of the election. Well, let's be clear, in 10 states, Democrats are suing so that those states can allow votes to come in after election day. They are literally trying to change the date of an election and blaming us for it. Well, right. Here's another argument that I think needs to be raised. If masks work, which is what the left is always saying, then why can't we do it all in person? Why do we have to have mail-in ballots? I mean, and Biden's the greatest candidate in the world. 
he, he's going to win by a landslide. All your polls are saying that. So what's the problem? Everybody don a mask. You are guaranteed to be able to be 100% safe with your little cloth mask or your little neck gaiter or whatever it is you purchased off the internet to quiet down the people who will freak out if you walk into the grocery store without it. And go vote. What's the problem? Stand six feet apart and wait your turn and vote in person. What's the issue? We had voting in World War II and World War I. I mean, President Trump has talked about this. What's the issue? Well, let's talk about what's going on in Nevada. This is kind of interesting. Again, Hogan Gidley, cut four. Nevada is a great example. They've legalized ballot harvesting, meaning I can just go into a nursing home and take 500 votes and take them down to the polling place anytime I want. They've legalized voting after election day. It's like if I woke up in, in Nevada on Wednesday morning and said, oh, guess what? Donald Trump's winning by 5,000 votes. The DNC says, hey, go find me 5,001 votes. You can do that under Nevada's new law. It's absolutely ridiculous. It makes our election system compromised, and it takes away the sacred right of one, uh, one vote for one person, and it won't count the way it normally has because people can double dip. Those universal votes, uh, the mail-in ballots, will come to their homes whether they've requested them or not meaning they can go on election day and vote yeah. and they can vote by mail. The whole thing is just a total scam, but the president's on to it. We're going to try to make it stop. Well, well, that's right. The president has said earlier this week that he does have the authority to issue an executive order addressing that in expected influx of mail-in voting in November. He has not ruled out doing that in spite of, as Politico says, the Constitution's expressly giving states the right to run their elections. Hey, can I respond this way? And Thomas Massey, Congressman Thomas Massey, made this point on Twitter. This is a really good argument. He said, what about all of those emergency orders that have been given by governors across the nation regarding coronavirus restrictions? You can't go to church. You can't gather in more than groups of 10. You can't walk around without a mask. You have to have this. You have to have that. He said, we're six months in now. How long does an emergency last? At what point do Americans get to have actual governance? When does the executive branch yield its power back to the legislature? And the legislature should be passing laws and making these sorts of decisions on behalf of the people at the six-month mark. An emergency, how really, I think this is a really important question. How long does an emergency last? And now you may think this isn't related to mail-in voting, but it really is because what they're really trying to do here is they don't like executive orders when Trump is using them and they love them when Obama's using them and they love them when Gavin Newsom is using them and they love when you have the governor of Michigan using them. So they like it. It's kind of like the filibuster. They love it when they need it and they hate it when you need it. That's just the way it goes in Washington. But Talk about disenfranchisement. Why don't the people of the United States get to have their legislatures making some of these decisions now and codifying these things into law or getting rid of them on behalf of the people? Whatever happened to the legislature in the states? Whatever happened to Congress? That's a whole nother show. It's crazy. It's crazy. But I think if, if, if President Trump pushes this issue and really makes sure that people are not disenfranchised during November, the November election, that that is going to go a long way to really rebuilding a lot of the people who have been really frustrated with the left up to this point. Shows how much they are desperate, doesn't it? It shows how desperate they are. They don't have a good candidate. 
They don't have a good candidate. And they have Joe Biden weighing Karen Bass as his potential running mate, who's now having to say, oh, no, I'm really not a socialist. I'm really not a communist. This is where the left is. These guys jumped the shark here, I think, in the last six months. And I think there's a part of them, at least a few of them in that camp, who recognize that we're going to have to really pull out all the stops to steal this election. That's where I think it's headed if somebody doesn't intervene and do something about it. And I certainly hope the president does. And I hope the Congress gets behind him. This has to be addressed because the last thing we need is an unfair election after the way this year has been going already. Pray for this country. This hour, Janet Meffer today has been brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us continue to send Bibles to needy Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible. Call now 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. We'll see you there and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.